Welcome back, everybody, to your ex-boyfriend's podcast. This is episode 30, and it's a big one because for the first time, the long-awaited sex and intimacy coach that I have been telling you guys about is on it with me. We had an amazing two-hour talk and touched on all sorts of things. We got to all sorts of listener questions, questions you guys sent me. Not all of them, but as you can see, we go pretty deep um, into the questions that we do get to. And in two hours, I think we answer a lot. Um, For any questions that didn't get answered today, Veronica will be answering those questions on her blog or her Instagram or something. She will... If you follow her, if you go to her website, she will be answering those questions in some frame, in some form, (laughs) is what I meant to say. Um, And yeah, I guess that's it. I won't go too long here. Just dive right into the interview with Veronica. I think y'all will be happy with it. Um, I certainly was. So without further ado, Veronica Perrier. Okay. Veronica, hello. Welcome to your ex-boyfriend's podcast. Hello. Thank you. For all my listeners out there, this is the long-awaited sex, intimacy, and relationship guide that we have been talking about getting on the show for some time. Uh, This is Veronica. Veronica and I met... Uh, just by chance at an open air market a couple months ago here in the city. And she had a a booth set up with an ask me anything sign. (laughs) Do you remember that sign, Veronica? I do. That was the whole reason I walked up to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, I really hoped that it would be compelling for people. It certainly was for me. It, if it, I, I would think if it had just said, with me being there with a couple of friends, you know, if, it, if your sign had just said, you know, sex coaching or something like that, I probably wouldn't have come up. So, yeah, I, I, didn't, was... think, I didn't think people would. <laughs> but it, it was awesome. And we had a, a good conversation. And I still think about that sometimes. Um, so, I guess give yourself a little bit of an introduction. And then we'll just dive right into the stuff that everybody's been uh, eager to talk about. Yeah. And I love that sign just as an aside, um, because the people who were drawn into it, they'd come up and ask this question that had just been hanging over their head forever. And I was having these little five minute sessions with people where they were weeping yeah that's awesome (laughs) yeah so it's like saying the thing that no one's ever said to them before in a really concise and direct way and they're like yeah that's exactly right I feel so seen I'm gonna cry on this grassy lawn yeah holding table um or you know experience what it feels like to have a little bit of an energy orgasm right (laughs) Right. this open air market but um it was a fun day and I'm really glad that you approached. Um, I live in West Seattle, but I work with people all over because I mostly work online. 
um, you know, given that I launched during the pandemic. Oh, uh, yeah. And it also just makes it more accessible and more convenient to, you know, people all over. And I have, I've worked with people in Berlin. I've worked with people, um, I have someone I've met with in Iran, you know, so it's really extended my ability, my reach. Global. Um, yeah, but mostly that's very cool. It is really cool, and I feel like I feel like it's such a gift to be able to reach people um, because you know, sexual challenges and emotional relationship challenges are pretty pervasive, no matter what culture you live in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I work here in West Seattle from my home in the Admiral District. Um, I lurk through PCC like a ghost a couple times a day. <laughs> the ghost of the market. <laughs> I am the ghost of PCC market in Admiral District um, because I am what I think people probably assume extremely extroverted online and then very introverted in person because my work is so connected and so intense. Um, I'm just recharging and lurking through the Admiral, Admiral District on a daily basis. So um, I'm not hard to find. I'm always out and about. But You know, life- that is something I've heard from a great many people who deal, as as you said, in a very extroverted profession where you have to, you know, take on a lot during the day. They're the most introverted person when they go home. Totally. My work's intense. So you can find me just sort of like zoning out, looking hot in jorts, (laughs) um, (laughs) staring out into the horizon. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just like a little bit about the work itself is um, <clears throat> I very much chose this certification for um, somatic sex and relationship coaching on purpose, as opposed to therapy, because it is more intimate. It is more experiential. And um, because it's a less sterile connection mm-hmm. and helping people to um, work with attachment wounds, to work with sort of healing the trauma that we all carry with us just from having like been born into the world and surviving every day. (laughs) Yeah. Put lightly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's less like mediation and less like facilitation, although I can do those things, particularly with couples. Um, The way that I'm trained is like very focused on how the work is done on how to be a practitioner as opposed to deep theory. Sure. Um, Although that is, you know, part of it. Um, but yeah, that's the longest introduction I've ever done because there are so many ways to um, look on my website about other things. But this feels like an opportunity to just say like, hey, this is this is the vibe. Absolutely. And we don't shy away from long form interviews here on this podcast. The last one I did <laughs> was two, two hours. So, <laughs> um, you know, whatever it, it takes. W- exactly. Whatever it takes. And I'm not here to like you know, have a cookie cutter format. We don't, we don't fit into that, into that puzzle piece. Um, Whatever we want to do is okay with me. I love that. And it also feels really true for my work as well, because um, I'm really trying very hard to go against like patriarchal capitalist striving where Mm -hmm. I have a client for 50 minutes maybe three minutes to go pee and then another client immediately after like I have buffers between my sessions so that people can go over if they need to sure um but the other part of it is is like I'm less like a storefront like you can't just roll up 
beyond the <laughs> session. Right. You can't just like come in and like schedule something and see how it goes. Like the work that I do with people is a big commitment. So right now I'm starting at a minimum. It used to be three months, but now it's a minimum of six months commitment twice a oh, month. Wow. So yeah, it's it's like I, I'm really leaning into it with people. Um yeah, that felt that feels important to mention that we're going to talk about a lot of really interesting stuff today. And I think I'm going to clear some energy for some people and answer, answer your questions and you can go forth and conquer. And then other stuff really is like deep work that requires a deep commitment. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you make a good point there for, for everybody who has sent me questions for you, I think an important thing to mention is that these, as I'm hoping a lot of you already realize, these answers that Veronica is going to give aren't meant to solve your problems. They're not meant to give you all that you need. This is just an introduction and where she's going to give thorough, thought out, professional expert answers. Most of this stuff is very likely going to be something you have to do a lot more work on. <laughs> Totally. Totally. Um, I, you know, I will say everybody who works with me generally, even in the first like 30 minute intro session, they have a big clearing or a big insight. Um, and so like the results happen right away when you're like really doing it, when you're really committed, but then there's like, you know, there's integration, there's growing into it, they're stretching your nervous system and creating a new neural pathway, a new pattern. So, right. Yeah. You got to exercise the muscle consistently. Totally. Like not everything's just like a big catharsis and like problem solved. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's continuous. Well, I think that was a great introduction and, (laughs) you know, I think that certainly gives me a good idea of, of a little bit more about you and for everybody listening, I think, what's to come will be will make a lot of sense um Mm -hmm. given that introduction so if you're ready i'm ready to dive into those questions i'm totes ready okay so uh just quick note for everybody listening these are in no particular order there's no order of importance um some of these were sent to me by women some by men but that's not to say that they necessarily only apply to those people if something resonates with you um let it do it (laughs) um first question it's been close to a decade for me with no relationship and i'm scared and nervous to date because i feel like i'm so far out of practice um, that i'm anxious about what to do how to act i'm worried women will think that i'm weird at this point for having been single for so long, even though I have had successful um, longer term partners in the past. How do I get back out into the dating scene again? And what could I do to move past this feeling um, and not feel so hung up on this big gap in my dating history? Mm. Uh, Yeah, I can feel how real this is for you. And um like the spinning in your mind of how like serious this feels. And there's a couple different parts to the question, at least three different parts to the question. But my first impulse 
because the thing that jumps out at me the most is like, what will other people think? Uh, That one, it like, it triggers something inside of me that kind of just wants to be like, what it like, who cares what people think? But um, I totally get it. And what I'm, what I really want to get across, and this is true for some of the other things that people asked too. Um, if you think you're weird for not having dated for 10 years, then other people are going to kind of pick up on the weirdness that you feel. Does that make sense? That that makes sense to me. I feel like whatever the, the vibe that, that this person is giving out, you know, unintentionally, unintentionally (laughs) is whether they realize it or not, that's going to be the one that people are picking up. Yeah. And so it's like, well, sir, do you think you're weird for not dating for 10 years? Um, (laughs) I, I don't, I don't think it's weird that you haven't been in a relationship for 10 years. And I think the way to really, cause like, it's not like you can just flip a switch and decide I'm not weird. Okay. Um, what I want to suggest here is think about your values and your challenges and how you got here. Like, why didn't you date for 10 years? Do you have an answer to that? Or are you just going to wait until you're on a date and someone puts you on the spot and asks you that question? Ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause then do you even have an answer? <laughs> totally. Like, do you even care about the answer or are you just like worried that someone's going to like, think that you're weird let's take a step back and decide is this important to you why didn't you date for 10 years were you not ready um were you really committed to a phd were you like becoming a professional um like uh auctioneer where like you really had to commit to a skill or something you know like there's got to be some reason (laughs) I love that you picked auctioneer. <laughs> <laughs> I had the visual in my mind before I could remember the word for it. So I was sitting there like, okay, Justice, I'm going to have to ask you in a second what this is. And we're going to get off topic. But um, yeah, like somewhere in there, there's an answer. Like it was important for you to not be in a relationship for 10 years, or perhaps you weren't ready yet and this is you now ready to show up. And what does that look like? You know, I think that's a good reframing of the question. Mm -hmm. Um, Just in the sense of, you know, uh, with a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, a lot, a a lot of it has to do with, you know, it's not so much like you said, what other people think, or what other people are telling you or what you've been conditioned to do or what you think you're supposed to do. Like it really has, there's a lot less to do with that and much more to do with, well, what is right for you? How do you feel? What have you discovered about yourself that has led you to this point or to this pattern or to this behavior? Um, And so the question of I'm worried about, how I'm going to appear to other people really to me seems more like I'm kind of worried about what I haven't discovered about myself yet. Oh yeah. What a tender way to put that. Everyone hug yourself for three seconds. (laughs) I'm going to do it right now, even though you can't (laughs) see me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and 
I think this is like a real call to journal to yourself or um, I know that like we've all become so digital that like handwriting in a journal can become challenging. Like it just feels so tedious for me personally, but writing things down or saying them out loud into a mirror on the phone to someone. Um, and what I do is I have a dry erase board that I journal on because I just wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah. Cause it's faster. Um, actually going through the process of asking yourself the questions, like if you were on the date with a perfect person who, you know, they're not just like succumbing to your discomfort. Like if you're, if you're bringing sort of like a nervous energy, like ideally the person that you're on a date with would be like really confident and not take it personally. Right. So imagine that person and the questions they might ask you, like, Oh, you didn't date for 10 years. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And then just stream of consciousness, talk it out with yourself, write it down, not in a self-deprecating way. That's not hot to literally anyone. Absolutely. <laughs> automatic swipe left on sarcasm and self-deprecation. Um, Sarah Silverman says, uh, she said this in a special, like, I don't know, like 12 years ago, like self-deprecation is self-obsession. And um, I've never looked back. Um, it's really indulgent and you can do it for fun, but like, I want you to actually practice stream of consciousness. Why didn't I date for 10 years? Why is it important to me to start dating now? Because having an answer to that, like a kind of brief or even like longer answer, but like put together that you've actually thought about, like is sexy as hell. Can you imagine? Oh yeah. If you can, someone? yeah. If you can answer that, truthfully and openly and intentionally rather than just be like oh I, I don't know i've never really thought about it you know yeah, like, and i agree with you that a weirdo <laughs> right i agree with you that's one of the sexiest things ever is when somebody can say yeah i'm aware of that about myself and here's what i've discovered and if it's something that they don't like here's what i'm doing to remedy that yeah and it sets the tone for the entire relationship or at least for the entire date. Sure. And like, I want people to know, like the leadership that you bring to a date is just like showing up with that energy of like not getting pulled into someone else being nervous. You can sort of not take it personally. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, you know, breathe it out, exhale longer than your inhale. Oh. Or if you're the nervous person owning out loud that you're the nervous person. <laughs> right. Ah, uh, and being like remaining curious about each other, but then sort of being like, you know what, this is a little nerve wracking for me, but I've decided to date now because this is what I want. And this is why I want it. And even if you're not that match for me for that bigger picture desire, let's have the best date ever. What do you say? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I have tried to um, do for myself. And I've, I've talked about with numerous people, the idea that you can go out on a date with somebody or multiple dates, it, it doesn't matter, and have a positive experience in which you learn, in which you grow, in which you connect with somebody. And that can end at any moment. The ending does not detract from the quality or the 
importance of that interaction. Just because it ended after one date doesn't mean it was worthless. Totally. And I think if we can look at it less about what am I trying to get out of this experience and more of like, because you're going to get something out of it no matter what. You're, you're there. You're For sure. there. Um, your spirit, your mind, your heart, your body are just there. So it's going to happen. Um, think about the energy that you're putting out and the invitation to play, the invitation to sensuality or romance that you're offering. And remember that you don't actually owe any follow-up to that except to just like communicate. So you can be sort of flirty on a date, you can be fun and then not feel ashamed if someone has feelings for you. Um, it's kind of the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if you don't reciprocate, that's also okay. Like we're all just like, we're strategizing so much and thinking so far ahead. It's like, just come back to your gift of like what play, what sensuality, what fun can I infuse into this experience for someone else? Um, while keeping my grip kind of loose, you know, I'm not trying to like squeeze the fun out of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and just as an aside, going back a, just a little bit, I love that you mentioned um, journaling or writing stuff down just in general. I have definitely um, mentioned that before on this show. And it's something that I, years ago when I first started to, you know, have the thoughts go through my head of like, wow, I don't really think I'm who I want to be. A lot of journaling helped. And I've uh, expressed it as um, like you're um, drawing the poison out. Like it doesn't matter that it's not to anybody. Like you're not communicating that to anybody. Just the act of putting it down on paper or typing it up or even you know as i've mentioned before you can record audio for yourself however you get it out and express that you know it does something that just thinking about it doesn't do totally which is the bridge to practice which is how this question started was what do i practice there you go i think start with the journaling and just having reached out um, I assume that you have some sort of relationship with this person or they at least felt brave enough to send in a request. Absolutely. Uh, that in itself is the practice. And, you know, I'm working with, I work primarily with men on this exact thing. Yeah. Uh, I go a lot deeper into, you know, the shame that you might have picked up about yourself, the anxiety and managing your anxiety and then learning how to really feel your erotic energy as life force energy, and then sharing it in a way that's inviting and not overwhelming. This is what I, this is like my bread and butter. This is what I mainly do. I remember uh, from talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also like just slapping them around a little bit. It's on Zoom, so it's just verbally, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> just building up resilience and like, um, working with men is kind of an interesting challenge. Cause like they're used to like running the conversation. And I'm like, no, um, <laughs> we're, no, we're not doing that. No, thanks. <laughs> but, um, this is the, this is the main thing that I practice, but I think that the journaling is like a really good gateway. And then speaking things out loud, like actually allowing your brain your nervous system to have the experience of like going through the process of having these thoughts, saying them out loud 
and then you know finding some like more positive ways to say them out loud so like leaving that self-deprecation behind um and then the next thing that so many the reason i brought this up is because so many of the men that i work with um completely forget the practice of friendship and how that is the same as dating um many men don't actually do it quite this way because like the conversations might be a little more truncated or like less frequent or maybe you just sit and stare you know at a river or a game or something but the practice of say texting a friend once a week to say hey buddy just thinking of you that is your practice for dating and mm. i just want you to just freaking do it um, that's interesting i haven't <laughs> heard of that before yeah like having these routines and allowing your, I'm going to keep saying nervous system, allowing your nervous system to feel the potential for rejection, even if it's really small, um, to feel the fear of like being the one to initiate and reach out. Um, and then, you know, seeing that everything was fine and it actually went okay. Like this is your practice for dating. It's also like your practice for caring about people. Sure. And so many men complain about the um the way that like many women will want to talk every day like or they want to have a text every day they want you to text them good morning and good night mm -hmm. this is your practice for that is like enjoying the mundanity like the mundane yeah like little things that keep relationships alive maybe with a friend it's not as often um or maybe with some people it's even more often if it's a friend but um literally just talk to people communicate with people like give them the gift of your presence without an expectation of getting something back yeah i that's that's a great way to put that um mm -hmm. not something i have heard tied into practice for dating before but i think that that makes a lot of sense to me yeah. and you can't it, it, it in and then all of a sudden right. you have to be good at connection. <laughs> Wait, can, can we repeat that for everybody who wasn't listening? <laughs> okay, listen up. You cannot live in isolation and then all of a sudden expect to be good at connection. Woo! That's good shit. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of how a lot of men... And myself included, I have for sure felt this way before. A lot of men express um, sadness or frustration or um, some some sort of displeasure at the fact that it feels like nobody, you know, cares about them. Like nobody checks up on me. Like nobody actually wants to know how I'm doing. Um, if I if I had to face a challenge, I'd be doing so alone. And I, I feel like a lot of the answer is like, well, are you checking in on anybody else? Are you mm -hmm. looking to see if your buddies are okay? Yeah, exactly. This is actually like, this applies to me. Like, um, I'm an introvert. I have always moved around a lot or lived really far away from my friends. The reason I have deep friendships is because I've been consistently reaching out to the same people over and over again for like 13 years, you know? Yeah. Um, they're people I almost never see in person. Yeah. Um, and then even now, like I met you in person in West Seattle, but like 
like I described myself earlier, I'm floating around like a cloud or I'm in my apartment. <laughs> so it takes, you know, you feel that sense of loneliness, but it takes actual initiative on your part to create those relationships. Not because um, I really want to put this frame on it and I really want people to listen to this. It's not because you have to force people to pay attention to you. It's because people desperately want to connect, but we're all just being really fucking Midwestern about it and like being overly <laughs> polite and not bothering people. Like we yeah. all think we're bothering people. So we don't initiate contact. Uh-huh. Do them the favor. They might not know what to do with it at first, but like just stick with it. Do them the favor. Keep going. Like for the love of God. Um everybody go do it right now. Go text someone you want to text. There you go. (laughs) And I like that too, that we're actually putting concrete action in front of people like, hey, if you're feeling this way, there's something you can do about it. Give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And what I'm spending a lot of time on this question because I think it answers a lot of other things. But perfect. What I want to like bring home for people is that even this small task of like journaling, most of you aren't going to do it. Not because you suck, but because there's some sort of freeze happening in your body that will, you know, sort of hold you back from not wanting to quite face this or a procrastination that is also a nervous system freeze um, that like, you don't know, maybe I'm not going to do it right. Or um, I don't want to text my friends because they're not going to want to text me back. Uh, Like, even the smallest things can feel like such a big challenge. And so you've got to go easy on yourself. But once you have figured out these smaller foundational pieces, like the rest of it just falls into place. So that's like, there was like a little part of me that bristled at some of these questions. Cause I'm like, this is just the wrong question. If <laughs> <laughs> it's like dating is like, you know, driving on the Audubon and like texting a friend should just be like, you know, rolling up to a stop sign in your own neighborhood. But like so many of us skip that stuff. Well, you know, it's interesting to me. One of my favorite quotes is uh, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And for some of these questions where you might have as as it would make perfect sense for you to have the the sense of, well, that's not the question you need to start with. A lot of people don't even realize that there are, is another question. <laughs> Totally. It makes perfect sense. Like I was a real magazine advice column junkie Mm -hmm. as a kid. And these are the questions we've been conditioned to ask. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. But now that I'm a professional and still spicy and sassy, I like kind of want to shake everyone and be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) But that being said, kudos to everybody who even reached out with questions. Because love, even asking that. that, whatever the question is, even getting to the point of asking me, somebody you very likely know, <laughs> hey, I want to learn about this and I haven't, you know, had a resource or I haven't felt comfortable talking about it, you know, that's a step in the right direction, as you said, okay. in the first place. Well, and they're all really good questions. And I've told you already, I intend to answer all of them on social media or on my blog, like one way or another. Oh, um, that's great. Thank you for bringing that up. I should have mentioned that at the beginning. Veronica is going to answer I mean, everything. Yeah, I'm going to answer all of it. I'm going to make sure that they're accessible to everyone. 
Um, they're all really good questions and they're like really good reminders for me where, where people's heads are actually at and what they're sort of curious about. Yeah. And the thing that I'm saying is like, there's always a question underneath the question, right? So like, <laughs> you know, I think we can move on, but um, with all of these, there's like, there are like these little layers underneath, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a good segue into any of these other questions as we go forward. Totally. You know, there's more to it. <laughs> yeah, like any, I actually think this is where like, certain like people have not always had like great experiences with therapy for example or like with their doctor or you know talking to a counselor a teacher a coach like because I think people are just answering the surface level question or we're getting triggered into this problem solving space or like oh no I better fix this for someone so I just answer the problem but like the question is underneath the question that's a good quote I'm going to quote you in the future. The question is underneath the question. (laughs) I love quotes. I I use them very often in in this podcast. Yeah, you know I do. I also use them. So um, we spoke a decent amount about shame in that first question. Do you want to segue into that second one that we talked about um, dealing? Okay. The question is how to get past shame associated with having a high sex drive and the associated acts um, that come from having a high sex drive, for example, watching porn, um, self-pleasure, pursuing sexual relation with other people. Um, And this, for context, this question comes from a woman. She was just because I know that it's the answer is likely going to be different based on if you're talking to a man or to a woman? It's largely the same answer. Um, Mm. But, you know, like there's a slightly different flavor of socialization there. And what I want to name and acknowledge is that I think if people were to read this question right away, knowing that it came from a woman, I think the impulse is to be kind of dismissive of like, well, what do you mean? It's shameful to have a high sex drive. I bet lots of men would be really into that. Um, And I just, I want to hold space for that feeling of like, um, having been socialized as a woman myself, like the feeling of always being both too much and not enough is like the most crazy making experience um, where it's like, people want us to be sexual beings. And yet, like, if you are a sexual being, like you're a slut, you're a problem. Sure. Um, And a lot of, and we're talking about this in like sort of like cisgender heteronormative terms, but it it is true. Almost everyone and in the same way, we just maybe adjust some of the terms a little bit. Um, A lot of men have have sexual shame or feel, let me, let me actually just back that up. All men have sexual shame and feel like their sexuality is too much or um, even the ones who don't maybe feel like it's too much. They feel like nobody can really handle them or whatever, because we've been raised in a mostly puritanical society. So mm-hmm. like sexual attraction is wrong. Um, it's aggressive. It's dangerous. Um, yeah. And so being a woman with a high sex drive 
you're dating men, I mean, really, if you're dating anyone, like if you're dating people who um, have been shamed about their sexuality, it's like, does my high sex drive make me seem like a perpetrator? Does it make me seem aggressive? Does it make me seem broken or like grabby or needy? Um, and then we get this potential for rejection and judgment and being shamed. Oh, I want like I'm taking a big breath in through my nose and out through my mouth and noticing where like my muscles are holding on to my body really tight as I read that question. Yeah. Uh, one because I'm I'm speaking from like the upper half of my body because I'm kind of like engaging with you from my brain right now, like my mind. What I'm doing now instead is like dropping down lower and noticing like my sits bones, like my butt where I'm seated on this bar stool, uh, like noticing the texture of the table that my computer is on, putting my hands on it, remembering to be here in my body. And that's something that can be really difficult for people who are having an active experience of feeling shame around their sexuality. Uh, like, I'm just gonna, can I, can I use body part words? You can say literally whatever you want. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say pussy. That word is like not everyone's favorite word, but like whatever word you use for your genitals, your pelvic floor, like your portal to the netherworld, whatever you want. To <laughs> the cave of wonders. <laughs> the cave of wonders. Like whatever. Um, like dropping down into that sexual center. Like not everyone can really feel that part of their body. And I'm, I'm doing this very intentionally because like what's happening with shame is like a shame is a physical experience. It's visceral. It's in your bones and your cells. Ah, it's, I just breathe. I'm breathing with my tongue sticking out. It's in the way that you're breathing, the way that you're holding yourself. And then emotions come out of that physical reaction. And so it feels really important to me to speak more slowly and regulate my own self as I'm speaking, because this is what your task is as well. When you're managing shame. Whoa. And I think that's an interesting concept that a lot of what well, doesn't get talked about nearly as often mm -hmm. as it should be is, you know, you're going to react to these things in your life in, as you described them, like in a more like, upper halfway like you're going to think and you're going to analyze and you're going to strategize and you're going to experience emotion but at the same time all of this is going to produce whatever experience you're having as you move through life is going to produce a physical reaction and it's not something that we even historically have even a recognized or b talked about even if we do recognize it you know the fact that this is something that can be, um, you can interact with your own body. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you live here. You live right. in your body. You are a person in a suit of flesh. <laughs> yeah. And here on this astral plane in this moment in time, um, although um, I studied psychology and in school and worked in government. And mm -hmm. uh, before I did that, you know, most of my classes in school were like literature and science. And 
Um, I'm very grounded here in this time, in this moment, um, and very informed, you know, in like a pragmatic way. Um, I'm, I'm disentangling myself from some of the systems that I personally think are oppressive and unhelpful um, when it comes to like the medical industry and the way that like universities are managed. So like, I don't wanna make it sound like I'm saying um, I'm 100% all in on a certain way of obtaining knowledge. But I, what I'm trying to say is like, I'm grounded here in this moment on earth. And I also have a connection to like my own spiritual and energetic experience. And what I want people, I'm sorry, I'm distracted because my cat's like very noisily crunching on something next to me. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> uh, what I want people to remember is like, you are a person living in a body in this time right here, right now. And like, if you are like me and you follow a lot of information online and learn from like, spiritual teachers or people who are like a little bit more heady um whether that's in a more like left left brain or right brain direction like it feels like what people are trying to do is like transcend this physical experience of like i'm gonna become all intellect or i'm gonna become all like spirit and you know become a light body and evaporate or be raptured um you know whatever sure and like no nah, man like you're a body you're flabby thighs and bones and like a weird crooked tongue or like whatever you've got going on like you're here right now in this body and like it's not just a tool it's like it, you are the body you're in right. it, is it um, yeah you can't ignore uh, <laughs> one essential part of you and expect the other parts to function at full capacity that's yeah. ex something we've talked about i, I had an episode um months ago in which i was like you know if you're ign ignoring one aspect of your existence um and you think it doesn't impact the other you know parts of you you're sorely mistaken <laughs> totally and um that part of why my work is so effective and this is what it means like that i'm a somatic relationship coach I teach intimacy but I teach it in a like embodied way mm -hmm. um, like what are the things that are happening in your body as you're having these experiences how can you regulate your nervous system um and bringing it back to the question you have to be able to find safety in your body and you know notice like what things are you anticipating like that like haven't happened yet or that aren't going to happen Right. Um, or like what has happened and how are you internalizing it and making it mean something that it doesn't? Um, and how do we come back to feeling safety in your body? And I want people to, I'm modeling it right now since I can't like teach it to this person directly. Sure. It's the slowing down of the breath. It's noticing like the lower half of your body numbness counts as a sensation that's really common but just like being there with the numbness asking it you know like why am i numb here what is right. that about um i spend a lot of time with a hand on my chest over my heart and then another hand over my sacrum between my belly button and my pelvic bowl um sort of like holding myself and like you can start to feel with practice like you can actually feel your like 
emotions and sensations in your body if you like slow down and breathe and notice them. Um, this is part of coming back to safety and also reclaiming probably people asking this question um, experienced shame growing up, whether it was from a religious upbringing or, you know, somebody giving them a talk about like, make sure you don't give it away or right. um, make sure you don't like put too much of your sexual energy on anyone um, or, you know, like there's so many ways that we can pick up shame. We kind of have <laughs> to reclaim our body. Yeah. We have to reclaim our body and our sexual energy. And part of that is just like keeping your hands on yourself, you know, breathing, enjoying your meals as you eat them. Like I'm willing to bet that people who feel sexual shame are like not necessarily living the most sensual experience in their day-to-day life. Like they're maybe compartmentalizing their physical experience from their like spiritual and mental experience. Like we said before, you know, that's a, a really good question to ask. Like how much of this, you, you may notice the shame when mm-hmm. you are specifically in the, you know, scenario of, uh, sex or sexual relationships or, you know, lust or desire, whatever, but maybe take the time to notice, like, how is this, you may think it's compartmentalized, but it's actually like, how has this seeped into other parts of my life? Am I compartmentalizing it intentionally to keep it from doing that? Um, Like it would, like we just said, and you mentioned, you know, these things don't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, That's a good question to ask. Totally. And a really telling part of this question is the part where it says high sex drive, because like that's really subjective and right. personally not a thing because you wouldn't say like, you know, like you regularly need to eat and drink water. So like you wouldn't say that you have like a high drive for survival. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like our bodies want to, fuck our bodies are alive Um, (laughs) it's the primary biological directive yeah like and the more open and relaxed your body is the more sex drive you're gonna have and so like it just feels really subjective to me when people say like i have a sex a high sex drive or it feels really judgmental and almost everyone who comes to me men in particular they're like i i'm addicted to porn i'm like you're not addicted to porn Um, they just think they're addicted to porn because they're in this cycle of watching it a lot. Yeah. That's a a vibe that I get from this question too, because it it makes it seem like maybe they think that they're like self-pleasuring too much or wanting sex too much. It does seem that way. You're right. And I can get how like both having been shamed growing up, like we all have, um, and then also maybe being rejected by partners or having partners who have their own sexual shame who sort of project their shit on you. Can sort of like, yeah. <laughs> like can further entrench that mindset. Right. But like the other part I want to add to this is like, we can sometimes experience this like feeling it's like everything is a habit. Everything is a loop. So like, if you feel like you're self-pleasuring too much, 
probably what's happening when you're self-pleasuring is like there's some sort of physiological um, or emotional experience of like kind of hating yourself simultaneously while you're self-pleasuring. Right. Which is like creating this like deeper groove of an experience for you. So like if I imagine um, everybody gets this, like if you ride your bike over the same patch of grass every day, it like wears it down and then it becomes the easiest place to travel. Yep. So paths of convenience, I think is what the technical term for that is. So this is like, this is the thing I just want people to think of. I'm not telling you right now how to fix it. What I'm telling you is just to notice it that like, when you're self-pleasuring or having a sexual urge or watching porn and like kind of hating yourself for it, think about this like deep groove that you're creating. Right. And this is where you can interrupt the pattern and you can say like, is this actually wrong what I'm doing? And if you can't get to the place of being like, no, this is fine. Or, you know, at least like being able to like sit through it and tolerate it without like feeling really activated then right. I would say, like, take a break from whatever that self-pleasure activity is and try a different kind of self-pleasure activity. Sure. Like, just give your brain a break for a second because you're kind of stuck in this pattern. And again, I think w- what you're talking about now ties into the same uh, topic we already touched on, which is, you know, not everything is this big, you know, catharsis or revelatory experience. It's interrupting or or initiating new patterns and doing those things enough for the habit to you know sink in for the old habit to die away these things don't happen overnight and if you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results you know it's kind of crazy yeah. And like, I don't even want you to stop self-pleasuring. I just, you know, go do it in the sunroom instead. Like just, you know, try right. to some of your routines a little bit. Um, like the same thing, like when men tell me that they are feeling bad about watching porn, I'm like, how about don't do that for a little while? You know, like, I'm not saying don't do it ever. Just like, you know, maybe take a break from doing things in the exact same way all the time. Um, right. And I will say like part of how I always wanted to do something like this, but part of how I was kind of launched back into this trajectory after a career in government. Um, Mm -hmm. So I worked in the Obama administration. So obviously that ended in 16. So I had like a transition of my own, Um, but through some like some self-healing work, I found out that I had accidentally sort of like, broken my own um like really natural ability to like just be orgasmic and relaxed um after I had experienced some like really intense chronic illness yeah a herpes diagnosis while I was like working in this really intense job which is a uh, illness of the nervous system so like I if you're stressed out all the time you're going to be having symptoms and like um I accidentally created like this new groove for myself where like I could only orgasm in one particular way. And it like took actual months and years to figure that out and to like reprogram it. So um, I got a lot out of that process. And I know we have some questions on orgasm here, but like you can, you can get so much out of these journeys 
um, if you take it off of like the goal itself, like orgasm just seems irrelevant to me almost at this point, but, um, it's not so much the goal. It's just yeah, a happy consequence of the stuff you're already doing. Totally. Like I've had the most incredible sex of my life while I was trying to figure that out. Right. If I had just stuck to like, I'm just one of those people who's like lucky and like, you know, I could come from penetration like pretty easily, even if I wasn't having like the most amazing time. Um, Cause I just like know how, mm-hmm. um, if I had just stayed on that road forever, if that, if I had never hit the pothole that like made me have to like figure it out, like I would have been having really boring sex. <laughs> you know, I think that is the, the perfect way to get into the third question. Is mm-hmm. that cool with you? Totally. So the next question, which you've already started talking about is how to orgasm from penetration. And is that a possibility for any woman and then we'll deal with the follow-up question there <laughs> after <Yeah>. that. <laughs> this feels like a, a really controversial answer, but I think it is possible for every woman. And I find it deeply annoying when people say like, studies show that most women can't come from penetration. I'm like, based on what? From like a couple decades maybe of research of like, a generation that's just now figuring out how to have sex <laughs> for women. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that made me laugh and choke on my LaCroix. Great. Um, yeah. Before, before, like, I'm going to go deep here for a second. Before yeah, go for Abrahamic it. religion, before like our current culture sure. um, that is like mostly led by men. Um, we had temples with women who did sexual healing yeah and like could heal people not just with sexuality but with herbs and they knew things about the way that our bodies worked and there are other cultures like Taoism um is all about like how our sexuality is like core to our existence mm-hmm. um, we've got tantra which is like not solely a sexual practice it's a whole religious thing but like it feels so annoying to like be basing such a sweeping analysis on like a really small period of time that's actually following centuries of sexual oppression, particularly for women. Um, and, and you have to ask the question, who is the ones who, who is conducting the research? Yeah, and as you said, who is participating in the research? Like, I, I think we know the answer, you know, th- this decade of, you know, whether it was baby boomers or Gen X, right? Th- these aren't the generations that are coming into this period of time where we're having these conversations, right? Like, yeah. they weren't the ones with the podcast where the sex coach came on and said, here's how I learned to orgasm. Like, this is a new okay. thing. <laughs> it's a new thing. It's like an ancient thing and a new thing that we're rediscovering now. <laughs> Rediscovery, and- yeah. There are a lot of women out there who will tell you their experience of having internal orgasm and then people will sort of poo-poo it and be like, well, that's not real or that doesn't match the science. And I'm like, whose science is that? Um, And like, yeah, maybe there it's mostly anecdotal evidence that says that many women, if not all women can come from internal penetration. 
Sure. It just feels so like the dismissal of it to me is so frustrating. And I actually say this not as an enemy of science, but as a person who understands it, um, that like science, um, empirical studies are based on one thing at a time, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And you're just adding one more thing at a time. It's like adding one brick to a wall. And so like Emily Nagoski, for example, who wrote Come As You Are, she's amazing. But I also think like people treating her research as a holy grail is just incomplete because she's just the first brick. <laughs> like the wall hasn't <laughs> sure. built. And some of some of what she said in her work is missing that anecdotal evidence of women who can come from penetration. So gotcha. Anyway, I ha- like this is a tangent I couldn't resist, but that's good. Um, no, that's good. <laughs> the a really important thing I want to add here is like whether you're a person with a pussy or a person with a penis, you're not getting enough pleasure. You're not having enough relaxation to really experience the full spectrum of what your body is capable of. Um, this is true of I think almost everyone. It's just that because men have like an easy sneezy <laughs> flex. That's good. <laughs> yeah. It's like an easy, it's an easy switch for most people. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be just turned on and off and like the orgasm reflex is pretty straightforward. It's a similar, yeah. um, it's a certain, it's a similar neural pathway, if not the same neural pathway as like a clitoral orgasm, mm-hmm. which is why uh, clitoral orgasms are, you know, like easier and um also do like they can also have a similar feeling of like a quick release that you feel tired after sure um internal orgasms are connected to different nerves um they're connected to i think the pelvic nerve and i know the vagus nerve is connected to the cervix and so Mm -hmm. there are people who can have cervical orgasms um, even if they have spinal cord injuries because the cervix or because the um, vagus nerve is a different pathway gotcha. to the nervous system. So this, like, to me, that's the only evidence. Like, I think that's so compelling. It's like almost the only evidence I even need to scientifically offer to say, yes, internal orgasms are possible um, because it's a whole other neural pathway, but it's untrained for most people. And um the cervix itself, like for many women, like we internalize a lot of, um, emotion there and it can be numb or painful or just, you know, we're not relaxed enough when people are touching it. And it's also a different kind of sensation sure, um, and requires a different approach. Like deep thrusting is how you reach the cervix, but like pounding into it, most people would um, you know, say like, that doesn't feel good. Um, it's like a slower, deeper experience and it can be difficult, um, to negotiate that. So that's, that's just one thing. It feels a little bit like a tangent, but also I want to do this from like a really big picture way. You can feel, first of all, you can feel the clitoris from the inside, which is about where the G spot is located. And so Mm -hmm. some people have theorized that the G spot is actually just 
um, you know, the ability, it's like where you just feel the bulbs of the clitoris. Gotcha. Inside because the clitoris, it's like, um, it's the same structure as a penis where it's like the hood is like the tip. You can see it right inside. It has these long legs that go down inside the lips that you can also feel engorging and sensationally you can feel them internally from mm-hmm. the vagina. Um, but anyway, the big thing is here is that, um, like we talked about earlier is like a lot of people are kind of numb from the waist down. We're not super connected and we're also not going slow enough. And I don't, I don't really like the word slow. I guess maybe we're not being deliberate enough with our pleasure. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're like a masculine feminine person or a person with a pussy or a penis. Um, we're just like not breathing that much. We're clenching, we're contracting, we're trying to sort of like squeeze one out. <laughs> that is a good way to put that. <laughs> totally. Like the question from before about the shame. Um, a lot of like men experience early ejaculation, or um, I can also imagine, I'm sort of imagining the same thing with the woman asking about self pleasure because it's like you learn to rush. Right. And so that's like what your, that's how your body associates like the process of pleasure to orgasm. Like the arc is like a rushed experience. Yeah. Um, and Do you so- know who Brian Reeves is? Mm-hmm. I, I think it was Brian Reeves that said something about like in his own experience and where he was treading a lot of the same ground that, that you're talking about right now. One of the big kind of stepping stones for him was understanding that arc of like the orgasm the ejaculation is not the goal there is a way to experience this pleasure that comes from being sexual slowly and a lot of that had to like for him it was like well like we talked about we got to stop watching porn because porn's purpose is to get you to the end that's not for you to like savor Mm-hmm. it's to get you there <laughs> and yeah, then and to do it quickly to do it quickly and then the same with how you learn to masturbate and how you learn to have sex like you're just trying to cross the finish line and if you want these other things to be possible much like everything we talk about on this podcast the journey has to be just as important <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think it's just like, I think about like a fiddlehead fern, like slowly sort of unfurling. It's like Kundalini energy, like, like a snake uncoiling. We Mm -hmm. all need that. And it starts in your day-to-day life in the sensuality of your day-to-day life. And also in your regulation and awareness of what your body feels like in every moment, because, um, so for a person with the, like, who's like, got a pussy, he's got a uterus, like that's our center of gravity. It's where we collect a lot of tension and a lot of emotion Mm -hmm. and a lot of stress. And so like people think it's a compliment to be like, oh, that pussy's so tight. And it's like, yeah, the pussy's tight because my nervous system is (laughs) dysregulated. Because I'm fucking anxious. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm a fucking anxious little poodle. Like, (laughs) um, That's so good. Most of us have hypertonic pussies as it is, like from sitting all day. Right. Have a really tight pelvic floor. Men have tight pelvic floors too. Um, 
if your pussy is tight, that's like actually not a great sign. Um, and so like, I know I'm giving a really like big answer here. Yeah. I actually have a course called unlocking pleasure that you can buy on my website and have access to for six months. Um, it's on there. It's always on my website mm-hmm. and it's good for like women who are trying to figure this out and uh, men who want to understand the women who are trying to figure this out. And it actually oh, yeah. hands-on technique and like ways to have these conversations and like warm, like appropriately warm up a pussy, like right. hint. It's not just like fingering and licking it. Um, Cause you know, I'm not going to get into that, but like, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we might have to do another episode. <laughs> we can do another episode. I also have a fingering course. Cause I, how can I not, but like, um, unlocking pleasure is a really big course. It's like good for women who are trying to become orgasmic and maximize their orgasmic potential, but it applies to men too, particularly if you have sex with women and a lot of people sure. watch it together with their partners. Sure. Um, and it's, it's like a really thorough course. Like I couldn't help myself. There's a lot of like emotional stuff in there. Um, I'm just, I'm plugging it in. Cause it's like, it requires, it requires like a lot of information. And the reason I created the course was because like now, if I were to go into it, it would take hours or like, if I tried Absolutely. to do it in my sessions, like it might take a really long time. And so I like to have this course that my clients can go back to because it it comes with um, my one-on-one coaching comes with the course. So like that's their reference point to keep going back to for the physical side of stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, the honestly, like my answer and I'm like, God, this is so annoying, but like my answer is like regulating your nervous system is how you (laughs) have the internal orgasms. And then, um, mapping um pelvic mapping and massaging and like releasing tension with your fingers um the main thing i want to put in here in terms of practice is like nothing is more intelligent than your own fingers so like if you're if you're physically able like yeah your fingers inside and feeling all the way around 360 degrees from opening all the way up to the cervix and around the space around the cervix, um, noticing where there might be tension, noticing how like uncomfortable you might feel <laughs> with this process. Okay, so I'm gonna ask my own um, yeah. question. Just go off off uh, my own experience. I'm ignorant in this topic to the, in the sense that I didn't even know you could get to the cervix with your fingers. Yeah, it's just like out there. That's brand new information totally <laughs> i wrote it down <laughs> if you think of the um uterus like an upside down pear yeah without the stem the bottom of the pear like the tip of the pear where it's like got a dip in it that's kind of yeah. what a cervix feels like but it's a little the opening's a little bit bigger because like at some point you know babies can come out of there yeah but, um, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's, it's like down there uh pointing down into the vaginal canal interesting there's space around it and part of why people with pussies need more time to warm up like people will say stuff like 
oh, 45 minutes of foreplay. And I'm like, that's really specific. And that sounds really boring, but like, you just need, you need to be open enough, regardless of how much time it takes um, for the uterus to pull back. So there's more space in the vagina for someone to actually be in there. Was it you that told me that you don't actually believe there is any such thing as foreplay? It is all just part of the sexual experience? It's all sex, my friend. Yeah. Was that you? I think it was. It was me. It was me and I was probably like ranting about it like I am now. I think you were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's all sex. And that's like, I don't love the idea of like, we'll do 45 minutes of foreplay and then penetration. It's like, bleh. Right. As if the foreplay is like the precursor to the good stuff. Like, wait a second. That's actually an integral part of the good part. Yeah. It's all the good stuff. And like, you could end up having the best sex of your life without an orgasm and without penetration. You know that, I I don't know if you noticed, I I reordered the questions while we were talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's kind of a a good way to go into the next one. This was a very common question every I don't want to say every I think maybe with the exception of one or two almost every guy that emailed or texted me messaged me a question for this episode one of their questions if they had more than one was does penis size truly matter and (laughs) you see I had that labeled the age-old debate you know every guy is worried about this at some point or another Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just no, like, no, it doesn't matter. But like, you're going to have a different experience with different genitals. So like, um, like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you like a super detailed, not a long, but like a super real answer here. I've had sex, so I have sex with men. Um, I've had sex with a penis that was like about the size of my finger. And I've had sex with you know, something that was like a prize winning zucchini at the fair. <laughs> so good. <laughs> like the full spectrum. Is that uh, a summer sausage? God. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's maybe a couple of summer sausages. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I've experienced like something that was sort of like a monster drink can. Um, I just don't think it matters all that much because it's like the most like satisfying and reliable orgasm that I get in my own life is from my own finger from one single finger like that's something I teach in my fingering class is like I don't know why everyone's trying to rush to putting two fingers or like a whole hand in or something like sure calm down um (laughs) calm down let's take it easy yeah like we're trying to like open the body it's not even that I'm like super well I am sensitive because like in not the way that you think uh sensitive in the sense that like I've really opened my pleasure um, potential. And so like I can experience a lot of sensation from just like a little bit of something sure, like done right. And like with a really lovely energy behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like if you're having sex with someone and their penis is like particularly small, like a finger for like the way that you thrust is going to be a little bit different because like I'm, you know, if you're holding like a finger in your closed fist, if you put a finger into your closed fist, I'm doing it right now. Just FYI. And like you have a, like a particularly like thin 
or shorter penis, like it might like stick or poke into parts of the vagina if you thrust kind of weird. It's the same way, like if you have a giant penis, you might thrust directly into the wall of a pussy. Like it doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It's like being mindful of how you're gliding onto the surface. Like if you're touching Mm -hmm. hand to hand, like how does that contact feel? You're not just like shoving something in regardless of how big or small you are. Um, And that's unfortunately what a lot of, if not every man (laughs) is taught, just put it in there and see what happens. (laughs) No, I think it like really, it really matters to like, kind of like, once again, like when I say slow, I don't mean like, fuck her softly like the like that song that's not what I'm talking about <laughs> that song cracks me like, up <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I'm just saying like be aware of like how you're breathing how your bodies are positioned like maybe you're trying a position that you saw in porn and like you find really visually appealing but like oh god if you yeah. very first like thrust particularly if you have a bigger penis, but like if your very first thrust is like with my legs up on your shoulders, like my <laughs> uterus hasn't had enough time to like pull back yet. So like, you're just going to smash into my cervix. So like, that's not a good place to start. Right. Um, like honestly, even with a smaller penis, if I'm not warmed up, I'm going to feel that and it's not going to be great. So like, it's just being aware, like, does the pussy feel like juicy? Does it feel ready? Have I used lube? Are my hands warm? Um, You know, have I had conversations with my partner, like about the kind of condom we're using? You know, there's certain condoms that feel better to me and worse to me. And people don't ever really talk about this stuff. So like, it doesn't matter regardless of your size, like it's all in how you're connecting with each other. Um, But yeah, like, for all practical purposes, like some penises do different things. Like if you have a very long penis, you know, it might go directly back to my cervix and just push a button, you know, and I've had that happen before. It wasn't particularly exciting sex, but like I've had sex where I came within the first like minute or so just because it was a big penis pushing on my cervix it sure. didn't feel particularly great or satisfying. It's just that like it pushed a button, you know, and some of the most um, like consistent orgasms that I've had in my life was when I was having sex with someone with like one of the smaller penises that I've had because the way mm-hmm. that they positioned their body um, made contact with my clitoris like throughout the whole encounter. So right. also they were really hot and I loved them a lot. So. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you ended with that. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the answer I really want to give as someone who's been like repeatedly heartbroken by men who hate themselves. Oh, God. preach <laughs> sister. Yeah. I'm about to preach. <laughs> put, your, put your pant, your big kid pants on. This applies to anybody. Yeah, get your helmets. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if you hate yourself, if, like, you're consistently showing up with that self-deprecation I was talking about earlier and shame, like, people can feel that and it's not sexy. Like, um, I can feel your energy if you're, like, holding back and hesitating because you're, like, obsessed with how big or not your penis is. God, yeah. (laughs) I've had this, like, actual experience over and over and over again in my life where, like, I dated a man who was bald and he like 
already was really shy and sweet but like because he was bald he like allowed that to hold him back even further to be like well nobody's gonna like me I'm yeah. attractive and I was like I'm really hot and I fuck you every day so <laughs> <laughs> cut it out but like truly like that lack of self-esteem really tanked our relationship and I've had the same experience with people who had like a perfectly beautiful truly gorgeous average size penis and they were so obsessed with it being too small that like they they just weren't as much fun to have sex with (laughs) right i feel like that's a commonality even in men and women if you're obsessed about any part of your body or how if if you're too in your head in the moment to actually enjoy what we're doing you know even if our parts fit together it's not going to be a good experience and in my own in my own life some of the worst sex i've ever had was with somebody who i could tell was not enjoying it and I knew it wasn't anything to do with me. I'm like, that is the least sexy thing that you could do in the moment. Totally. And like, I don't want to go too deep into the next question because I feel like we're answering it right now. But like, uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but like the body confidence, it's like, I think we have to, it's the same as a lot of the other things we've talked about so far is like really being aware of like, our own stories and the stories that we've been given by other people and making a conscious choice to notice them and be like, you know what, that's not my story. Or like, yeah, I do feel self-conscious that I'm fat or hairy or like that I have a medium sized dick and I wish it was like gigantic size Um, or I'm bald or like my butt jiggles. I have cellulite, like my nose is crooked. Um, my nose actually is crooked. So I feel like I can say that, but um, <laughs> like, uh, like it's so challenging and it, I really encourage people to, to just do the work on that and to like do your best to not take it out on your partners. Yeah. You know, that's a great point is, you know, it's not your partner's responsibility to shoulder your own self-hatred. Yeah, exactly. I told a client that recently because, you know, so many of my clients are like, they're like perfectionists, they're nice guys, and they're really hard on themselves. They're like, why do I have to do this corny self love stuff? And I'm like, it's not because it's like, (laughs) it's not because I'm trying to inflate your ego or make you like happy go lucky hug yourself care bear. It's because it's not safe to love a man who hates himself. No shit. (laughs) What ends up happening is like, same for a woman or anyone of any gender, like, if you feel like you don't deserve love, then you start to reject love and then it becomes really unsafe to love you. No, no shit. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you saying no shit. And like that I, then this is like coming straight from my own personal fire because it's happened to me so many times. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not good enough for you. And I'm like, cool. What a fun. (laughs) My no shits are coming from a person that has, used to be that guy mm-hmm. totally. so yeah but no more no more <laughs> and it's okay when we feel these things we just have to like own it and recognize that it's like it's ours to hold and you know someone in here asked about vulnerability like getting yeah. to the place of like real intimacy is like the vulnerability of saying you know what like i don't always feel great about myself Um, but I'm trying to stay in this with you and, you know, I welcome your reassurance, even if I'm not always great at receiving it. 
I did a whole dang episode on vulnerability a couple months ago. Maybe it's like a month ago. Mm-hmm. It's such an important idea. And I know that you know this. It's so hardwired in our society with men to not be vulnerable. And it causes and exacerbates so many problems that we just refuse to talk about. So I'm looking forward to getting to that question. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And, um, you know, the, the bomb I want to drop on here is that like women are also not very good at being vulnerable. We're just better at hiding it. And Ooh. we're like attacking men from this like fixer angle because then we don't have to deal with our own shit. Um, mm. <laughs> so, That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually think, I don't know. I think we might be able to just go straight into that, but I see this other, um, I kind of, I want to let you ask it, but I, the, the next one. Oh, the, uh, well, since we kind of already talked about the body confidence, you're talking about the next one after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had a listener, um, write me is, the uh, mentality of she comes first um, in sex. Is that practice a, a real advisable thing? Is it, you know, as, as an expert on the topic of sexuality and sensuality and, you know, everything we've talked about up to this point, I hope is pointing towards Veronica being, you know, somebody who's learned in these, (laughs) in these topics. Is that something that you have encountered? Do you, do you advise that? Or is that just a made up thing that somebody wrote a book about? Um, I just, I just think this is like the way that we simplify all the things that I said earlier about (laughs) more time. Right. I don't think that it's like that just women need more time. I think it's that everybody needs more time to deepen into their pleasure and relax more because like men, you can be having bigger, better orgasms. And I don't mean better as in like what you're having isn't good enough, but like you could be having a far more deep experience than what you're probably having. Um, I've given a man an orgasm from his nipples, for example. Um, Damn. I'm just like smiling saying that because it was really fun to say. But ah, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's like so many more ways to experience pleasure. And I like where this this principle, like I sort of like that it's bringing us bring our attention to that. I just think that it's like overly gendered and um, hierarchical and like putting too much of the focus on orgasm. Cause that's kind of what it's geared towards. Absolutely. It is. Um, and I think also acknowledging that easy sneezy button, which is that like, if we just did sex in five minutes that like probably a man would come and the woman wouldn't. So sure, that's what that's about. But like, I don't know. I want to like challenge you to play in the sandbox a little bit more mystically here than that question. Like it's a really good question. And I feel like the people who are feeding it to you, like the magazine, it's like, it's such an oversimplification, you know, see the, see the answer from before and also check out the workshop if you want. Yeah, no, I I definitely would agree with that. A lot of what 
I feel like a lot of these questions and especially some of the ones that we aren't going to hit during this episode that you you and I have talked about mm-hmm. a lot of them come from that mentality of like there is you know a, a, an easy fix or um like we're just trying to get to the orgasm or we're trying to get to the relation we're trying to get to the relationship that lasts forever and I don't have to worry about it anymore or like I don't have to think about dating or why this that or the other thing and I I feel like that is what we're actually missing in most of these interactions is the the why and the how and less about the when and the where Mm -hmm. um I want to go back to one quick question I I I think this one can be answered fairly um quickly just I realized I skipped it one of the previous questions had a a second part which was is a woman squirting actually pee and how do i squirt (laughs) (laughs) it's not pee but um there's some debate as to what it is it's just there's a lot of glands that create secretions and bartholins um the skeins yeah so i i actually find reading about this from like the tantric perspective to be like more interesting. Mm. Um, It's called Amrita. A-M-R-I-T-A is like what the fluid is called. And people view it as like this sort of spiritual experience because it's coming from nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's magic. (laughs) magic. And I just think that's really fun, but it's basically like a buildup of pressure and, uh, or like buildup of fluid underneath the skin. And Um, the way that you can do it, I think it's like a little different for everybody, but like the funny thing is, is like your body knows if you're trying to get something out of it and it won't give it to you. So (laughs) great. (laughs) Like you have to be so relaxed and kind of practiced at it. And like, there's a way that you can sort of finger someone, um, to like put pressure in that area. It's like on the like about where the G spot would be. Um, And then you can sort of like curl your finger to like pull out as like you feel the buildup and like someone coming to orgasm. Mm -hmm. But like, it just, it takes practice and it's not a status thing. Some people can just do it without really even realizing that they're doing it. Sometimes it just happens. Um, It's sort of cool, but I feel like before you start doing that, there's probably like, again, do the workshop. Like there's <laughs> right. more stuff that you can be doing leading up to that point. And um, yeah, like it's not going to just happen. And I'll be honest, like for me, I've had really skilled partners, like try to do it and yeah. end up doing instead is like hitting a pocket of tension. And like uh, it's really intense to the point of almost feeling uncomfortable and unpleasant sure um and i'll end up like crying or something not oh damn but it's because it's like reflexology um sure (laughs) it's like they're giving me a really intense reflexology treatment oh geez okay i just i want i want to like also just remember that like this is a really delicate area that's really emotional it's really normal to cry um from sex like it's really normal to have like all sorts of physiological and emotional responses from sex, not just because it's intense and emotional, but because like, there's, there's like all these little buttons you're pushing on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
Um, so literal and figurative. <laughs> literal and figurative. So yeah, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like steer people away from squirting like unless and until you've sort of like gotten deeper with someone or yourself and um you know you feel like that's like the next level i think it's it's not the goal yeah that's fair and i think you stole the words out of my mouth like that's that's you got to level up first maybe worry about that once you've got like your your base practice down (laughs) totally i think most people don't really know how to finger a pussy to begin with so and I think a lot of people are lying about the experience that they're having. <laughs> sure. Well, we're trained <laughs> to lie. Like, oh, yeah, I definitely know what I'm doing. I yeah, got it. Or like people <laughs> who are like saying, oh, that felt great. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're awesome. a little different from that, you know. Um, but anyway, there's like a lot of spiritual, physical, emotional leveling up, I think, before getting to releasing the Amrita. Okay. Fair enough. But as far as you're concerned, it's not pee. It's not pee. All right. So all you ladies out there who are worried that it was pee, it's not. Oh, yeah. Part one of the tricks is like telling yourself it's okay to pee because it feels like you're going to pee. Yep. Just telling yourself, oh, it's okay to pee. I have straight up said that to a partner. I said, like, if you pee on me, then you pee on me. We'll get through it. Yeah, we'll be fine. It's like, it's okay to pee. It's okay to make a mess. Like, I'm a fun, messy little slut and I'm going to make a mess all over. You know, like, you got to get into it or it's not. There you go. There you go. Lean into the pee. It's okay. Uh, Let's see. Okay. So, the question we kind of prefaced about vulnerability why can vulnerability in relationships be so hard and frightening sometimes? Um, And this has a lot. This this particular person was experiencing a lot of anxiety over lack of control in the relationship and lack of control in possible outcomes, um, maybe positive or negative. Yeah. Oh, pumpkin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that um, like the first answer, just keeping it like kind of straightforward, is like we are not raised in a super intimate way, like there's the sort of default intimacy of like someone wiping your literal butt for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 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 And like, maybe you were hugged and read to as a child, maybe not like probably not as much of like the kids who get it now, like they get like a 45 minute bedtime and like, uh, you know, most of us didn't get that or like, (laughs) no, (laughs) our parents definitely didn't. Their parents like, no way. They probably had to. For sure put themselves to sleep in a barn or something. <laughs> Veronica, quick side note, you and I are pretty close to the same age, right? Like somewhere in our thirties. I'm 36. Okay. We're pretty close. I'm 31. Yeah. Um, so we had the same parents probably. Yeah. We had the same parents, but like, you know, the intimacy of like, like meta conversations of like, wow, I really lost my temper there. Um, you know, that's not how I want to be with you. I want to take a breath and take a step back, little four-year-old. Right. Tell you that I'm, you know, that I still love you and I'm still here with you. And I'm, I'm going to say it out loud because it's not obvious to a small child. Yeah, um, shoot. That is such a good point. Like the things that you thought <laughs> while you were raising your kids, you needed to tell them. 
Yeah, you have to say all of it explicitly and verbally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like for sure, verbally too, like with affection, and like a lot of us didn't get that. Um, and so we are going into adult relationships without any practice, and we're also because like it's sort of weird and awkward, like you know the thing of like texting your friends, like am I going to bother them? Right. Um, it's the same thing. It's like am I going to bother people by telling them I'm not in a good mood? Um, I ran into one of my friends today at the farmer's market in West Seattle. Oh yeah. Who is the owner of inner alchemy, um, Admiral district. And my community here is mostly based in like women who also own businesses in West Seattle, just because I like talk to them. (laughs) It's just who my people are. Absolutely. Um, but so like I see them and the polite thing to do is just to say, I'm Okay. I'm not okay. I've been having kind of a hard time. And so I told her, I was like, Hey Mari, I've been having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, from watching you on social media, I would have never had known. So thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. This intimacy. And like the next like meta conversation I had with her is like, yeah, I feel like a little self-conscious saying this to you now because I, I don't, I'm not asking you for labor. Cause she also is like a healing person. Right. I'm not asking of any, anything of you. I'm just, I'm being honest because this is why you might not have seen me around in a little while. Yeah. Um, this is what intimacy is. And so most of us don't have practice doing that. And then we also don't have safety doing it because if you weren't told that it was okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that is a big, a big point I want to hit on. Yeah. Especially let's emphasize that if you didn't feel safe doing something when you were being formed when you were being molded by the world in your formative years that's going to persist into your adulthood and unless you can identify and work with that that feeling is not going to go away (laughs) yeah it just it isn't going to go away and it just gets deeper and um you know I think a lot of us like either will end up relying really hard on someone yes or bailing because the feeling is so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we've never quite found what safety feels like and what it means. And so we're sort of like spinning, you know, like all in our own sort of way, we're all sort of spinning right? And hungry for that sense of safety. And it's really difficult because um, we can get that from other people, but we have to have a grounded foundation in ourselves to be able to accept it. Um, right. And to know what it feels like and to know how we want it. And um, this anxiousness, this anxiety, you know, we've got those formative years where things don't feel great. And then I think what happens is a lot of people like take their unpracticed cute little butts into like teenage and young 20s relationships. And then they experience a lot of rejection or frustration. Right. um, And then create these grooves. And then you get stuck in that rut. Yeah. And then we meet people who are like not meeting our needs. And then we feel anxious because our needs aren't being met. Um, So it's a mix of our own rut and like also other people's lack of practice where they're just simply not showing up for you in the way that they should. Right. Gives us anxiety. So. And if we're all doing the same thing, right. If we're all in our own rut in our own grooved in pattern, you can't expect that person to be able to walk the same road with you because they literally are in a different stuck 
you know, set of tracks that they can't just cross over. Yeah, that's a really great way to put that. I feel like that's a pretty big answer for the vulnerability question. Why is it so hard and why is it so scary? Because you don't feel safe and you have never felt safe being vulnerable. And now as you're trying to build a relationship in which vulnerability is a necessity, you feel unsafe all the time. Yeah. And working with someone to sort of like work through that inner child stuff, inner teenager, talk about your patterns that you've been in as an adult. This doesn't mean you never have to do the pattern ever again. Um, or that even the pattern's bad. It's just, it's like, how do you manage the ruts that you get into? Um, it really helps to work it through with somebody. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like finding that safety in your own body, your own nervous system and finding someone who is willing to have these meta conversations to be like, oh, wow, I feel really nervous about this right now, but can we try to make that groove that we can both walk in and be committed to the process of doing that over time? And then I just want to speak really directly to this person. Like I wouldn't rush to label yourself as anxiously attached. I would take note of who you're dating and whether they're reliable (laughs) Um, rather than like shaming yourself. And, you know, maybe be curious about why, why you feel attracted to, or why you find yourself in relationships with people who are not going to show up for you. Right. Rather than just diagnosing yourself. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, because it's natural to have an anxious response to people who aren't texting you back. (laughs) It is (laughs) like I'm an, I lean avoidant. But because I date men, I often date men who are also avoidant. And like, because I haven't always been emotionally available, I date people who are more avoidant than I am. And so that makes me feel anxious. (laughs) It's not because I'm anxiously attached. It's because they're a mess. (laughs) (laughs) And then I feel like a mess. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've seen more than I like to see Uh, people who gravitate towards partners who are more a mess than they are. And I don't want to say like, I'm not trying to quantify people's struggles, but like if you have a decent grasp on like some things in your life and some, you just feel a little bit more out of control. And then you're naturally gravitating towards these people who are just complete, you know, storms. Like they, they don't have a handle on any of their shit. Um, they're probably not going to help you build that secure relationship that you maybe want. And they probably can't guide you or help you on the path or hold your hand. They probably don't even know how to hold hands. Right. And I think that's how we learn that we are ourselves avoiding vulnerability and not ready for a relationship yet, because it would be terrifying to find somebody who's actually at our own level that we might lose and that will actually hold our feet to the fire and hold us accountable and like communicate with us regularly and, you know, who we'd have to show up for, um, you know. Somebody who's holding that mirror up like consistently. (laughs) It is hard. And that is a perfect way to go into the next question. Mm -hmm. This person is worried about dating while doing their own healing work or um, not losing progress in the, you know, the self-growth journey, um, not losing themselves 
while they try to, you know, form a relationship. You know, as somebody who's been on this path that is, um, would like to not deviate. Yeah. I think this is the same answer as the first one, which is kind of seems that way. Like what's your, what's your actual fear here? And like, can you hold yourself through the fear? Everything is a growing experience. Everything like you're never going to fall off of your path. That's a good, that's a good way to look at that. Like you're walking a path no matter what. Yeah. You're always going to be on your path. It's all a learning and growing experience. And I'd be curious about like what it is you're afraid of losing. And, um, you know, I just want to remind people that relationships are where the growth happens um, when it comes to like relational healing and intimacy. Like there's a lot we can do on our own and should do on our own, but like becoming better at relationships and even I think getting closer with ourselves, like it happens in relationship, which means you're going to like stumble and be triggered. And that's part of it. Like it's stumbling and triggering that you might avoid on your own, but if that's growth, you would also avoid on your own. Oh, so that's good. If you want to be in a relationship, be in that relationship, be there fully show up. Notice what's coming up for you. Share it with your partner early and often. Not in a like, I'm constantly processing and like psychoanalyzing myself kind of way, but like, right. <laughs> you know, I woke up feeling a little distant today um, and sharing it out loud and saying, I still love you and, you know, feel kind of funky today. Um, so I, I, this particular question, I spoke to the person about it. We're fairly close. and. He was saying that his um, worries, uh, you know, as you asked the question, what are you actually worried about for yourself? The worries pertain to like, historically, he was more um, anxiously attached. And attachment theory is something that I've been promising my listeners that I'm going to get into at some point, because I just feel like I haven't had (laughs) enough experience or learning to speak on it intelligently. So I know we've used it a couple times here, and listeners, I will get to that episode eventually. Yeah, and I always but, remind them to not become obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, the the person that asked this, he he tends towards that side of things, and is worried that by going into relationship, by maybe you know meeting somebody who he wants to um, build this healthy relationship with he's worried about like falling back into old tendencies of like, okay, well now I'm starting to feel like this person, um, their, the, the relationship with this person is now a defining characteristic of me or, um, if they're not, you know, feeling one way or the other, that says something about me and, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo, I get it. I felt that way too. Let's yeah, talk about like it. <laughs> over identifying with the other person. And yeah. yeah, I get that. I think that like the answers here are intimacy and structure. So like it's actually allowing them to come close and doing the communications of like 
hey, I kind of get really invested in relationships and forget to schedule my own stuff. And so I want to make it a commitment in our relationship to have a weekly check-in with you or a bi-weekly check-in with you, but to also make sure that at least this many times a month, I'm going to, you know, spin class or whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not super into making it rigid, but sort of remembering like, look back at yourself every month and say like, did I forget to do a bunch of stuff for myself? Am I like not doing my laundry or drinking water? (laughs) Right. Simple stuff. Getting so caught up in like being with my date all day that I'm not eating meals at the same time that I normally would. Like um, it's communication and like not assuming that communicating those things is going to be the deal breaker. Like they're not going to wake up with you you need to eat lunch. And if they did, that wasn't supposed to be the relationship yeah, you were in. <laughs> pretty good sign. <laughs> <laughs> you ate lunch? God damn you. <laughs> yeah, I hate you. Uh, like, I really think the answer is not like pulling away and staying on your path, like, and, and becoming like less and less capable of intimacy. Uh, right. It's like staying in the practice of intimacy and communication allowing your nervous system to feel the like scariness of communicating the need and then feeling the resolution of like, Oh, I feel anxious, but nothing bad happened. I'm okay. And doing that enough times that it becomes a new habit for you to regularly speak up for your own needs. Right. And then like, obviously like you need friends, you need a coach, you need therapists and people to remind you of who you are and how to call your energy back to yourself. Um, this is kind of woo-woo, but I do it whenever I leave someone's house. I'm like, I remind myself, like, this is my body. I'm going back to my space mm-hmm. and like releasing the energy of the person that I was just with. Gotcha. Not to say that I don't like continue to think about them or talk to them. I'm just uh putting that structure into my day of like, okay, that time is over and now I'm switching to something else now. Gotcha. You know, that's, I think, again, tied to a lot of what we've mentioned already. And I'm just Mm -hmm. trying to stress this for everybody like this. A lot of what we talk about is intentional. You have to um, set intention for yourself. You have to practice, you have to put in work to make this stuff stick and work for you. Mm-hmm. And there's really no getting around that. And I, I know I've been doing this podcast since the new year. So it's been about half a year, a little, over half a year. And I keep finding myself just in my own work coming back to that. It's like, it's, it's going to take endless work. You don't get to stop doing this work at some point. Oh, I'm there. I'm great. I'm better. Right. No. This is just what you do. No, it always can go deeper and you know, what happens like for me, because I've like done so much of this work, the people that I meet out in dating world are also people who've done the work. And then they like find the really rude, like experience of like, oh, doing your work all by yourself and then jumping into a relationship creates a whole new set of things (laughs) I need to work on. Yes. Um, And then people panic and they bail or, you know, they feel like it's not the right time or, Right. But like, I want to make sure that people, it's like, I'm always regulating myself. I'm always holding myself accountable and creating a community that can do the same for me. 
while also staying relational and aware of how my like aliveness affects other people um and how absolutely they're met by each other and you know if i can jump into the last question here i think that's the perfect lead in it's the idea of to me it sounds like it's the idea of codependent codependency versus interdependency Mm -hmm. meaning as this person asked differentiating the ability to differentiate between relying on somebody else sourcing your security from that other person that relationship that community or whatever the other is and working through any sort of relational issue you have with that other entity together yeah well and i actually have a course that i was just launching the last month um and it now it's just like available on my website for people to do at their own pace but Mm -hmm. um it's called siren and sovereign like i kind of tied the reclaiming your sexuality as a woman and like being seductive and like really learning how to like be confident and take a partner to ravish a partner like Mm -hmm. get there is like to understand my codependency and like (laughs) my need for approval and like (laughs) um you know do I have the self-esteem and the confidence to actually like ask for and take what I want um, so it's like an interesting ice cream sandwich of topics, but I think it makes perfect sense. Um, but like, I, I'm putting that out there to tell you that like codependence is a thing I talk a lot about and I really don't like labels and like, you know, saying like, oh, you are codependent as a person. <laughs> as if it's a diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. It's not a formal diagnosis, by the way, but a lot of people treat it like it is. Right. Um, and even if it were a formal diagnosis, I just, the reason I'm a coach and not a therapist is because I just, I don't like labeling people in this way. I think it's like a product of like capitalist society that actually doesn't make as much sense as we think it does, but Mm -hmm. that's another topic for another time. Um, (laughs) absolutely. And you're welcome (laughs) back (laughs) anytime, (laughs) but so codependency for me, like the immediate I think thing that people hear is like codependent versus interdependent as in like, I depend on this person for my survival. I depend on this person for all of my entertainment and reassurance and all that stuff. That's what people think when they hear that term, but it actually like, I want to take it to like a so much more nuanced level because I think we're, raised in a very codependent culture where we're so hung up on our not enoughness and we're so like entrenched in this way of communicating that is like not vulnerable and not intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, we're in this weird feedback loop with people all the time where it's like, I don't want to text you because that might bother you. Um, and to me that is codependence. Codependence is like not doing the thing because of the reaction that I think you might have. Sure. So I kind of like, I just, I hear so much shame and judgment in the question of like, should I, you know, be more independent or rely on the community? Like if our economy wasn't set up the way that it was, we would all be depending on each other all the time. And I don't know if that's necessarily wrong. Right. Like 
we would make meals for each other. We are social animals. We need each other. We need interaction. That's true. That is true. To me, I just hear trauma. (laughs) (laughs) I just hear trauma in the question because it's like somewhere along the way, we all learned that like we have to completely rely on ourselves and I'm a burden to my boyfriend because I wanted him to text me good morning. You know, like, eh, like, yes, I absolutely, this is why I taught the class the way that I did the siren and sovereign is like, I absolutely want you to be sovereign and independent and like able to source self-esteem and reassurance from your own self and know how to get it from the world too. So not just internally in an echo chamber in your own brain, like, how do I connect with other people in a way that fills my cup? Yeah. Not, do I know how to do that? Yeah. Me, that's what it means to be sovereign is to like be aware of my own energy and how I'm feeling, how I'm affecting other people, how they affect me. Um, but the codependence, this feels kind of like maybe a twisty concept for your brain, but like, I think the antidote to codependence is intimacy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to just keep saying it over and over again. Like it's getting comfortable with needing other people. Yeah. And I think a lot of what gets maybe misinterpreted with the word, the concept of codependency is to, to me, it really is just about like, are you, as you said, are you sourcing any, are you depending on any part of, you know, what's core to you coming from an external source? And that's not to say that we don't thrive and grow and experience joy in community, in intimacy with other people, because that is absolutely the case, like unequivocally, but your self-worth being tied to that doesn't work and it's yeah. hard to differentiate <laughs> it, it it's sort of like i think everything you're saying is totally correct and i also think that it makes a lot of sense that like if your basic need for connection isn't being met for whatever reason that your self-worth would take a hit um And I actually think it might be helpful to think of it less as like a day-to-day thing of like, can I eat dinner alone or am I going to like fall apart? The term codependence comes from Alcoholics Anonymous because- Interesting. Yeah. So like addiction can also be called dependence. So like if I have a dependence on alcohol, that's where the term comes from. So I think it's kind of a misnomer. So like when people hear codependence versus interdependence, they're thinking dependent versus independent, which is not right. Exactly. (laughs) So like actually codependency comes from the concept of like, say you have an alcoholic or someone who experiences some sort of addiction or whatever like challenge in their life. And they are sort of like in crisis all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Their partner or their family might follow them into that dynamic by fixing or enabling. Sure. And so um, a lot of my existence will start to revolve around your um, addiction and like, how do I prevent you from hurting yourself? And so right. like, I'm sort of um, overthinking and policing myself 
to avoid upsetting you. Right. I am uh, over considering you in my plans. Like I don't go out. This is something like parents do. Like I don't go out and have a good time because I feel guilty leaving my kids at home. Yeah. Um, so like, I think I, I almost want to take the whole idea of like depending on other people for resources or support or anything out of it. Cause like you need those things and that's not exactly what codependence is about. Codependence sure. is like, am I allowing like my attempt to manage your emotional experience to actually like get in the way of our connection? That is perfect. You said that better than I was trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I know you understand it. I know you understand it, but I think this context helps a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to put that. Yeah. And absolutely. I think you, you hit on a concept too that I I really think a lot of it deserves a lot more conversation, hopefully mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Um, is the idea of overfunctioning mm-hmm. um to try to, you know, be like be that person you were talking about trying to manage somebody else's experience in the world. Totally. We're all doing it. Like everybody who thinks they're like a quote, nice guy, everybody who's like working <laughs> really hard to like accommodate other people all the way. Yeah. Say I give and I give and I give and nobody gives back. Like we're all doing it. Um, we're Have all- you ever heard of the, I don't know where this term comes from. I might've even made it up, but it like, it's called the chill girl fallacy. Mm-hmm right? Like not having needs doesn't make you chill. Like it just means that I have to over-function to interpret your needs that you just aren't communicating. Right. So like we're both (laughs) over-functioning. Right. And like, once again, the antidote is intimacy. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Communication and saying like, oh, I'm like embarrassed to say that like, I need to cut our date earlier early because I'm really hungry. (laughs) Right. Or I've got um, the shits. I got to go home. Like yeah. people shit. That's a thing. <laughs> totally. And it's like our, our fear, our lack of safety, um, whatever you want to call it, like our anxious attachment, our avoidant attachment, right. um, like all this stuff I think comes back to just not having the comfort of saying what you need because somewhere right. along the way you learned that what you need isn't important. Even if you have really great parents, like that makes me want to cry. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I'm not going to because I'm I, I I that was one of those things that I learned was not okay. <laughs> yeah, you can do it another time, or we can just do like a final thirty minute group cry. <laughs> Everybody, call in. We're live right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to allow our body to feel safe and relaxed enough to cry if you've learned not to. Ugh, yeah. It's the same thing as not being able to come. Sorry, everyone. Hey, oh, <laughs> that's good shit. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead and cry. So you, you, I'm sure you've experienced this then with maybe clients of yours, maybe yourself, the crying during orgasm. Like, wow, it's the same exact reaction. Yeah, it's the same. It's just like relaxing your body. It's like having a release. Yeah. Um, like a lot of my sessions, it's close on, you know, um, if they were in person, I am like allowed to touch people, but I'm not touching their genitals and I'm not touching to orgasm, but still like really frequently experience energetic release where 
Um, I can feel like energy lifting up off of their shoulders, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, I can feel it in my body because of the way we're holding eye contact and creating um, like a limbic connection. But like release is release. We're just letting something go out of our body. Maybe that's what I'll call this episode. Release is release. (laughs) I like that. That sounds pretty gross, Um, (laughs) but maybe compelling to click on. That's kind of what I'm going for. Like it says release is release. And then there's an explicit tag and somebody will be like, that sounds fun. It's so funny because like, I don't feel like we've had our, I don't feel like our conversation's been particularly explicit, but I guess for like the normal world, it's been really explicit. <laughs> God, you, you're spot on. I literally just was thinking about this last week with my previous episode. Like I don't tag all of them explicit, but then I went back and like, was reading through some like podcast guidelines that certain websites have. And they're like, if you use, you know, any of the seven words that you're not allowed to say on the radio. And if you talk about genitalia, or if you talk about, you know, violent, anything violent, like, Oh, Hey, I I have problems because my mom killed herself. And like, now I have trauma from that. Like that constitutes an explicit tag for a lot of places. And I'm like, that seems kind of whack. <laughs> yeah. I don't see how that's explicit. That's just the truth. Yeah. Well, and that like to me brings home a lot of other stuff that we've talked about. Like the reason people feel shame about their sexuality and their attraction and all of that stuff is because we've been forced to compartmentalize it as if it's yeah. separate from ourselves or like it's just a sometimes thing. And so that's kind of where we end up feeling like perverts or where people who are actual perverts, I don't like to use that word, but uh, people who are actually a little dangerous or are like coming from a place of scarcity. um, It's because we are like so compartmentalized. Right. People talk about this sometimes in my profession of like, how do I present myself professionally online? So people don't get the wrong idea. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) I've got like a kind of sexy Instagram account and like, yeah. people don't seem that confused about it. Cause I'm not confused about it. <laughs> That's great. You know? you know, as soon as you started saying you get that question, I was like, that was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I don't think Veronica struggles with that. <laughs> I don't struggle with it. I, I think about it, but like, I mostly don't struggle with it because like, I think about it all the time because I don't want to scare clients away. Right. But like, it's more, and I know that I do, because it's going to be triggering to people to see a woman in her like expressed sexuality, or, you know, I do definitely have people who like, just assume I'm a sex worker. Yeah. Um, But like, they would assume that anyway, because again, it's so compartmentalized that anyone talking about sex must be a sex worker, right? Right. Like, hey, she's open about that. So she's a sex worker. Yeah. Yeah, She's just a sex worker. Like she's going to sleep with me just because she talks about it. And I'm like, sorry, bro. But um, it's more important to me, although I know I will lose some potential clients to start stripping away the compartmentalization because Mm -hmm. sexuality is not bad. It's not wrong. It's not unprofessional. Right. How you wield it can be those things but sexual energy on its own, like my naked body on its own. Eh. Yeah. I'm I'm here to like release that stigma. 
Right. Yeah, it totally reminds me, like, and I know this was a very, it, it's a very widespread thing at this point that we all have heard or read or at some level we know about it. But if any listeners out there are confused as to what she's talking about, like with this idea of compartmentalizing sexuality or repressing any sort of natural, normal feelings and desires that you have, we saw that happen with the Catholic Church. You know, the, the data is out there that, you know, you repress little boys' sexuality to the point where they're going to express it in some way, whether you like it or not, and that very unfortunately turned into that whole scandal with priests you know wielding their power to you know deal with shit that they had been told was wrong from the get-go you know it's going to get out at some point or another better to deal with it healthily yeah and you know it's that's a pretty tragic thing and a lot of people have been touched by it um yeah by it and so you know just like taking a pause to acknowledge that for anyone who's had that experience but um you know even just like in regular day-to-day it's like I'm sexy with my married partner behind closed doors but like I'm not allowed to wear a low-cut shirt at the grocery store because like someone else might look at me you know Mm -hmm. Um, or like when I'm feeling really like creative and turned on, like that's my sexual energy expressing itself. You know, it's just like me being alive. And a lot of people are afraid to let that pilot light stay turned on because like, what if people notice me and then expect me to like do sex with them? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But like, that's you shutting down your authentic expression. It's not even like flirty or it doesn't have to be sexual. It's just like, your authentic magnetism comes from that life force energy. And that's an interesting idea too. The like sexualization has, or any, the idea of sexuality has been, you know, labeled as kind of other, like you said, it's compartmentalized. Um, You know, the, basically we've taken that explicit label and slapped it onto just existing. Um, Yeah. And it's an interesting struggle. Yeah, (laughs) it's an interesting struggle to realize, like, you know, it's it doesn't deserve to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like, unless and until we're getting into like deeply traumatic, specific stuff, it it does feel like the explicit label is wildly overused. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's because people are unwilling to deal with what might come up or the questions that might come up right this stuff is just part of like more normal conversation yeah and that's kind of been my guidepost with this whole podcast like in the first episode that was one of the things i said was i'm just trying to talk about stuff that you know needs to be talked about you know what for whatever reason you didn't get it from your parents or you didn't get it from your mentors or society has told you otherwise or partners have, you know, told you otherwise, like this, this stuff deserves its time in the spotlight and what better way to give it that than talk about my own shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for putting all these questions together. I will definitely answer the rest of them like in shorter ways. Um, Sure. 
through like a little blog post or maybe a reel or something on Instagram. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, it's good to know where people are coming from and, you know, have my pulse on like what people are interested in and I'm excited to answer them. Awesome. Yeah. I, that is a great idea and I'm glad you suggested it. And mm-hmm. it was my pleasure putting this together and having you on your lovely guest. I enjoyed the whole thing. And this is the time in which if you want to plug anything that you've got going on, you want to, if there's anything you want to leave the audience with that the floor is yours. Yeah. I mean, I definitely encourage people to follow me on Instagram at indelicate underscore coaching, um, or go to indelicatecoaching.com. Um, I've got some workshops that you can sign up for at any time and do on your own. So like you won't be being watched by anyone else. Um, when you're doing them, you're welcome to send me questions, um, so that you can sort of stay on track and there's little buttons all throughout that, you know, you can click on to buy a sort of like discounted intro session to go over some of the things that might come up for you while you're in it. And then a deeper commitment that I have, you know, it's an investment. It is worth it. It is life-changing. I do one-on-one coaching for six months at a time, but all the information for this stuff is available through Instagram and uh, on my website. And I wanted to just say, you know, if anybody is interested in these workshops, but has questions that, you know, you're welcome to reach out either through justice or through the website or email. Um, I'm a pretty accessible, friendly gal. So I can attest to that. Yeah. Hit me up. Hit me with your questions. <laughs> hit her up. Veronica, again, thank you for coming on. Um, I appreciate you giving your, your time this afternoon and I'm sure we'll talk in the future. Okay. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Okay. That concludes the uh, interview with Veronica. I hope everybody listening got as much out of that conversation as I did. And uh, for those of you whose questions that we got to, I hope that those answers um, shed some light on whatever you were wondering. For anybody whose questions we didn't get to, um, Veronica will be answering all questions that I received uh, on her blog or her Instagram. So I will link those in the show notes for this episode. You'll get a a link for both her website and her Instagram. Uh, If you want to uh, visit either of those, she mentioned in the episode, but I'll just say it again. Her website is indelicatecoaching.com and her Instagram is indelicate underscore coaching. As always, thank you for listening to another episode of your ex-boyfriend's podcast. You know we can be we can be listened to on any podcast platform. Just Google your ex-boyfriend's podcast or my name, Justice Tenna. We are hosted on Podbean at justicetenna.podbean.com and you can always email me at your exbf podcast at gmail.com and reach me on Instagram at your underscore exbf underscore podcast. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Last thoughts. 
since Veronica is also a professional with a business, she is, as she mentioned, selling a lot of her services. You know, not everything that, well, I would say the majority, 99.9% of what you're going to learn from her will be learned in one of those one-on-one coaching sessions or in one of those seminars or webinars or whatever you call them that she offers online. Um, please go and check out what she's, what she's doing. And in the show notes for this episode, I will post uh, a couple of discount codes that she provided for listeners to this podcast. Uh, if you're interested, by all means, use those codes and go check out the good work that she's doing. And on that note, we'll go ahead and end it. So look forward to talking to y'all next week. Expect another episode in seven days. Until then, take care. And I still don't have an outro. (laughs) Okay, bye.